Hello, I'm Sam Gandhi, and welcome to the Sidley Podcast. In today's podcast, we present my talk with Sidley Senior Counsel Tim Muris about changes in antitrust law and how he thinks the antitrust landscape will evolve. We like to say at the Sidley Podcast that we tackle cutting-edge issues in the law and put them in perspective for business people today. And it turns out in this case, we were literally on the cutting edge. On Tuesday, October 20th, a day after we recorded this podcast, the Justice Department filed suit against Google, charging it with violating antitrust law and withholding monopolies in search and search advertising. We recorded our conversation the day before, with Tim focusing on the House report and likely changes in the new year. Regardless of the election, observers expect the Google suit to continue, making Tim's discussion of antitrust future even more relevant. We now present my conversation with Tim Muris. As a presidential election looms, a new government report is taking aim at giant technology companies. It charges that these once underdog startups have been transformed into monopolies, and it proposes changes to antitrust law that could lead to the breakup of these companies. How has antitrust evolved, and where is it going? Is this the dawn of a new era in trust busting? We'll find out in today's podcast. We have this effort to focus on these big companies and to, quite frankly, break them up in various ways. For example, they're recommending that certain parts of Facebook be split off. So I would think that we are headed for enforcers in the government who are quite sympathetic to the views in that report. We are in another one of these periods where there's this movement to change antitrust to really call big as bad, and that would have profound consequences. From the international law firm Sidley Austin, this is the Sidley Podcast, where we tackle cutting-edge issues in the law and put them in perspective for business people today. I'm Sam Gandhi. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Sidley Podcast, episode number 13. Today, we focus on recent governmental recommendations in antitrust law, how the laws have changed over time, and what the future may hold in this area after the election. And I'm joined by Sidley Senior Counsel Tim Muris. Tim is a member of Sidley's antitrust competition practice and advises clients on wide-ranging matters involving antitrust enforcement, with a particular focus on mergers, civil investigations, and strategic counseling. He was chairman of the Federal Trade Commission from 2001 to 2004, and is the only person ever to be the director of both FTC's enforcement bureaus, Competition and Consumer Protection. Tim, it's great to speak with you today. Nice to see you, Sam. Very recently, in some rather high-profile antitrust news, the House Judiciary Committee released its conclusions on whether several large technology companies are violating antitrust laws. So the report on, that was released on October 6 criticizes the companies, and it lays out a number of policy recommendations. What's your top-level view of the report, and what are the main takeaways from that report that people should know? This is certainly an important development. It was a staff report, but it clearly enjoys broad support among the House Democrats. The report essentially claims that these very large tech companies are already violating the antitrust laws. It states that they should face what they call structural separation, which is a kind of breakup. The report, although it says they're already violating the law, it says we ought to rewrite the laws to make it easier to go after these kind of companies. And it's also very critical of modern antitrust enforcement. And by modern, I mean over the last 40 years. 
Tell me what that means. And I guess the question is, is that how much of this is being driven also by, you know, we're sitting here on the eve of the presidential election. And, you know, as we speak, there's some issues out there in the news about certain members of Congress are angry at both Facebook and Twitter for banning certain news stories, etc. How much of this regulation of these large tech companies are driven by purely political issues? Well, both on the left and the right in the political spectrum, there is animosity toward big tech. On the left, it's traditional populist grounds which have reared their heads in antitrust every 40 years or so. That's on the left. On the right, there is a concern twofold. One is the concern that you just mentioned that these companies are are stifling conservative opinion. The other is that if you look at Silicon Valley, the people on the right feel that they're overwhelmingly supportive of people on the left. And so from your perspective, how helpful is the guidance in the report? You talked about how it's quite critical of modern antitrust enforcement. So what are the interesting or novel recommendations that it's got in there for our current landscape? I think it's important to recognize that as Mark Twain uh, famously said, history might not repeat itself, but it rhymes. And we have some serious rhyming here. In the 30s and 40s, antitrust went on a big as bad jag uh, with the great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company, which no longer exists, was the largest retailer in the United States. That was the villain. In the 60s and 70s, we went on another big as bad attack where the villain was the U.S. auto industry, especially, uh, especially General Motors, which was you know, far and away the largest company. That changed over the last 40 years. But again, we have this effort to focus on, on these big companies and to, quite frankly, break them up in various ways. For example, they're recommending that certain parts of Facebook be split off. They're recommending that what's called structural separation, which means that if a company runs a platform like a marketplace where people can sell their products on that platform, then the company that sponsors the platform can't also put its own products on on the platform. So there are a variety of proposals of the type we have not seen since the 60s and 70s. What are the reaction to these historical trends? There's a huge history here, and it looks like we're kind of flipping back to the past. What's the reaction in your view on these historical trends? The interesting thing is, again, how much, how much history is rhyming. When the two biggest bad attacks, the one from the 30s and 40s, the one from the 60s and 70s, when they were rejected, they were rejected on the basis that antitrust law ought to be about consumers and not protecting small businesses, which is a lot of what's going on here again. And so this is very serious because we have these companies that in many ways could have only arisen in the United States because the United States has an antitrust law that as Learned Hand famously says, we encourage firms to win, but then we don't turn on them once they've won. The idea here is to turn on the winners, even though historically, as I mentioned, uh, the A&P was the villain, it no longer exists. General Motors was the villain, and of course General Motors uh, had tremendous problems. The market is very dynamic, but we are in another one of these periods where there's this movement to change antitrust to really call big as bad, and that would have profound consequences. Let's talk about kind of the historical lens we're just talking about. 
I want to get your thoughts on kind of how the House Judiciary Committee, currently controlled by the Democrats, is characterizing the current state of affairs. So it wrote in the October report, to put it simply, companies that once were scrappy underdog startups that challenged the status quo have become the kinds of monopolies we last saw in the era of oil barons and railroad tycoons. So that's kind of a really interesting quote because, I mean, as you said, that these companies that they're really going after are the classic disruptors to drive down prices potentially and give consumers different choice, but they become, in their view, behemoths. So how would you characterize their assessment? It's certainly ahistorical. The people that are writing this report really don't realize that they are repeating almost word-for-word attacks that were made in these two earlier periods. They also thoroughly reject modern antitrust law. They associate it with people that they demonize. They associate it with Robert Bork, for example, who was important in antitrust history. But the most important person on the Supreme Court is Stephen Breyer, who, last time I checked, was a a liberal in good standing. But he's been far and away in the last 40 years as a judge, one of the two or three most important judges and now justice at writing antitrust opinions. So the view that has existed for the last 40 years has enjoyed widespread support across the antitrust spectrum, but now it's being seriously challenged. We're always concerned about the judiciary going one way or the other to the political winds, but what relevance, when we talk about Congress, or in this case, the majority view of one house, really have on the courts and the FTC when antitrust is really litigated? That's an important question, Sam. As we talk, we're very close to a presidential election. There's widespread belief, if you believe the polls, that Vice President Biden will win. The leader intellectually in the Democratic Party has been Senator Elizabeth Warren. Every Democrat who ran for president, uh, and there were a lot of them before the vice president prevailed, has the same aggressive views that are reflected to a significant degree or another in that report. So I would think that we are headed for, a, for enforcers in the government who are quite sympathetic to the views in that report. You're listening to the Sidley Podcast, and we're speaking with Sidley Senior Counsel Tim Muris about recent governmental recommendations in antitrust law and what the future may hold in this area after the election. Tim is a senior counsel in Sidley's antitrust and competition practice and a member of the ABA's antitrust law section and he represents clients on wide-ranging matters involving antitrust and competition law and enforcement. So, Tim, I want to come back. There's some just basic fears in in society about Internet-based companies that they're just going to just absorb other companies and eliminate jobs. And I think you heard some of that with some of the political rhetoric that we've been hearing currently in Congress and also on the campaign trail. So to what degree are we seeing a return to the belief that big is bad? That is certainly what's reflected in this new House report. It's a road that we've traveled before. The irony is that small business has thrived over time, although it's thrived in different modes. When the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company pioneered the retail store and the supermarket, that obviously hurt some small companies. They changed and others thrived. Walmart came in with a big box format. Amazon has a uh, pioneered uh, online retail. Small business has managed to adjust and thrive in the economy, even though these companies have been disruptive. That is the nature of a market economy. 
Let me follow up on that a little bit, because before you talked about the philosophy of antitrust law in the sense that it's really there in FTC law to really focus on the protection of consumers. But now we're hearing about the protection of small businesses. Are they kind of the same? Well, not necessarily. One of the key attributes of this report is a return to an aggressive use of something called predatory pricing uh, cases, which simply means that these big companies may be charging prices that are too low and that by charging low prices, they can drive out competitors. And when the competitors are gone, they can raise their prices. Led by uh, then judge, now Justice Breyer, antitrust law has made it very hard to bring those cases. And I think appropriately so. It's conceivable that you could have such a case, but we're talking about low prices. And antitrust, if it protects anything, it should protect low prices. Sometimes, of course, low prices can hurt competitors, but they help consumers. So in your view, we should be looking at less like the ability to compete and more about how it protects consumers in terms of the purposes of antitrust law. Yes. For the last 40 years, antitrust is focused on something that it calls the consumer welfare standard. And, and that's being challenged by people who want to replace things like competitor protection, like income inequality, a whole series of issues that antitrust law is really not well suited to deal with. So when you think about this, how do you assess the market impact of those so-called internet giants today? And how are we supposed to judge their dominance in the context of antitrust law? If you look at the internet giants, they've transformed our lives for the better. But look, the first thing you have to worry about in antitrust is that a company, this is a necessary but not sufficient condition, a company has a, to be a monopolist has a very large market share in a well-defined antitrust market. And if you look at the companies that the report is criticizing, they painted them all with the same brush, where some of those companies, you know, Google, for example, I think just most people agree it doesn't make it necessarily a violator of the antitrust laws, but it does have very large market shares in things like search and advertising technology, where some of these other companies do not dominate retail, for example. I mean, no company, even Walmart, which is far and away the largest retail in the United States, has something like a 30% share. Well, maybe let's talk about a different commodity, which is data. And what role does the massive amount of data on consumers that some of these giants have been able to gather have in stifling competition? And is there a place for FTC enforcement of that? The question of data is a very important question. There are issues in data that are non-antitrust issues, of course, and the, my 15 minutes of fame in life was when, as chairman, we created the National Do Not Call Registry. And that was based on misuse of data, misuse of information. And the FTC spends a lot of time on that. And that's in its consumer protection function. Uh, in terms of antitrust, though, data turns out to be like a lot of other attributes that companies have. There's competition to have data, to use data. And so far, at least, no one has misused data in the antitrust context outside of their allegations of traditional exclusionary practices where data is involved, but they're certainly not data specific. So although there are data issues, what bothers people most about data, I think, is best handled in the consumer protection context, not, not antitrust. I want to go back to our biggest bad question. And 
Is the trust-busting analogy apt today? The trust-busting analogy, the irony is there's actually been very little trust-busting in the history in the history of the United States. There's a lot of economic history, and what the economic history showed is what's not surprising is that the rise of big corporations produced tremendous benefits for the country. There could be problems. But antitrust law should not be painted with the broad brush of the House Judiciary Committee. It should be what's happening now is individual investigations of companies to see if their individual practices, in fact, harm consumers. And so as we start ending the year, and I'm sure most people can't wait for this year to be over, but what do you foresee as the trends in antitrust as we potentially end the year and we may be going into a new administration? Well, I do think that if the election turns out the way that it appears to, that the people who will run the government agencies will be people who will be very sympathetic to the House Judiciary Report. They will attempt to be very aggressive. That report says that we ought to overturn a lot of Supreme Court cases. So I think unless there's a dramatic change in the federal judiciary, some of what the House wants to do can't be done under current law but they are also talking about rewriting current law. So I think we're looking at a turbulent time. And it's important to recognize that although that report focused on these four very large companies, the principles they're talking about don't stop in the Fortune 10. They're going to apply to big companies around the world and around certainly in the United States. And where do you see this affecting private rights of action such as the plaintiff's bar? Do you see it just in government enforcement or future civil cases as well? The plaintiff's bar is very aggressive, and I think that they will, they're already bringing some of these cases. They will bring more of these cases. They will bring follow-on cases. Once the government starts investigating, the plaintiff's bar often jumps in quickly, even before the government files suit. And I think some of that, there's competition among plaintiff's lawyers. I think some of that Some of that will happen here. And the plaintiff's bar is obviously a very important part of United States antitrust law. Uh, So, Tim, what does the congressional report mean for future mergers and the possibility of enforcement against those mergers? It could be particularly important for mergers. If you look at the trajectory of mergers, back in the 60s, there was a belief that you needed seven or eight firms in an industry to be competitive. By the time we got to the experience of the Clinton administration, between the cases they investigated and the progress in economics, that belief was more that three or four in most industries was enough. And this report will push to move that number up again so that mergers that have gone through, and particularly in the last 30 or 40 years, are going to be challenged in an effort to move the line back toward having more firms in an industry. And that's another important part of this report. We've been speaking with Sidley Senior Counsel Tim Muris about the history and potential future of antitrust law. Tim, thanks. This has been a great and informative look at the antitrust landscape. And thanks for sharing your insights. Thank you, Sam. You've been listening to the Sidley Podcast. I'm Sam Gandhi. Our executive producer is John Metaxas and our managing editor is Karen Tucker. Listen to more episodes at sidley.com slash sidleypodcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.